This morning, I will be reading Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, and that is found on page 807 in the Black Bibles around the room. When I'm finished, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and in response, we'll say, thanks be to God, because it's just an expression of thanksgiving to God, because we believe that these words are inspired by the very living God. And then today I'll be reading some very interesting, fun names for you this morning. So, little grace just in case, okay? <laughs> Matthew 1, verse 1 through 17. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Matin, and Matin the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for bringing us all here together. We praise you for your faithfulness and the confidence that we can have in your promises. We ask that you would open our hearts and our minds as we hear, read your word and hear your message preached today. We ask that you would be with Pastor Mark as he preaches, that you would guide his words, that they would speak only your truth. And we pray these things in your heavenly name. Amen. Yeah. Ooh, this would not be a good day to go, hey, we need more Bible readers up here. <laughs> People are like, uh, <laughs> uh, I, didn't, I didn't listen in school very much, so I'm not doing that. That's amazing. Well done. Super good. 
I was nervous. I was like, I just feel forever has to read this week. That is rough. And you know it. All of you, you guys are scary to read to anyway. Not alone to have to pronounce all those names. Man, awesome. Well done. Well, second, second to having to read this is to preach a list of names, right? Right, right. So this was all planned before I got here. So it was like, hey, here's uh, Advent number one, names. Uh, go for it. So that's my sermon this morning. And uh, we'll just get through all of them. It'll be about four hours. One by one. Well, welcome to Living Stones. Uh, I'm Pastor Mark, one of the pastors here. And uh, happy Advent. Yeah, we have made it. Nice. It is Advent. And, uh, you know, which, which means that you're either thinking a couple of things. One, you're like, Living Stones is sold out like the rest, and we're already doing Christmas. It's not even Thanksgiving. Right? Have you thought that? I've had a couple conversations. Yeah, amen. All right. Uh, yeah, I'm, we're sorry. We haven't sold out, so don't worry. Some of you are like, right on, Christmas music. Let's do it. How many of you are those Christmas fiends already playing Christmas music? You should lose your right to vote. Uh, it's obvious you can't make good decisions. Uh, but the grace of God is for you, so we're going to be okay. Yeah, all the time. That's right. Okay, so yeah, whatever helps you sleep at night. Uh, notice this. I, I did, not, did not say... Merry Christmas, or happy, or I said Happy Advent. And that's because Christmas and Advent are the same thing. Somewhere along the way, we've kind of enmeshed them and we made them one and the same, but they're different. Advent is different. Long before Christmas and all of its commercialism now, but long before Christmas arrived in the scene, Christians were celebrating Advent. And Advent just means arriving, arrival. The coming. And what I and in fact, the coming is probably not even the best. It is arriving because Advent has two things in mind. Christmas has kind of one thing in mind when you think of Christmas as a Christian, and that's Jesus has come. But Advent is focused on Jesus is coming because he has come. That's what Advent means. And so as we we come into Advent, we're not we're not just entering a Christmas season. We're connecting ourselves with the roots of our Christian faith in thinking about Advent and thinking about the arrival of God and thinking about the soon-to-be arrival of God again. That's Advent. And so it's not about Christmas music, and we haven't sold out, I promise. We are doing something that predates Christmas. We're doing something historical and sacred where we're remembering. In fact, Advent in the Christian calendar is the first of the Christian calendar. The Christian calendar begins with Advent. Isn't that amazing? For us, Christmas ends the calendar, but for the Christian, Advent begins the calendar. So Happy New Year. Yeah, where's your resolutions, right? Lose some weight before Christmas, right? So Happy, happy New Year. And as Christians, it starts with Advent. It doesn't end with it. It starts with it because this is central to our hope and our belief and where we're going and what we desire. But we could kind of mix it up. And we start thinking through a Christmas lens instead of an Advent lens and, and what actually that affects our worship. It affects who we are. Because Christmas can be somewhat distracting and Advent is meant to cut through that distraction so that we can really understand what the birth of Jesus means for us. Because obviously it wasn't in December, but... It's when we celebrate it 
And when we celebrate Advent, we're celebrating something deeper than just Jesus has come. And that's what we're unfolding in these candles. That's what we're unfolding in this series is not thinking about Christmas, but about Advent. And and I think there's a great poem. W.H. Auden was a poet, 1939, in the middle of World War uh, II, or at the beginning, he, he wrote an Advent poem. And, uh, and, and he breaks it down clearly like this. Here's a couple stanzas. Faces along the bar cling to their average day. The lights must never go out. The music must always play. All the conventions conspire to make this fort assume the furniture of home. Lest we should see where we are, lost in a haunted wood, children afraid of the night who have never been happy or good. And he's recollecting in this, in this very season that Christmas is a lot of distraction, right? We just kind of we're lined up at the bar and we're living our ordinary life. And Christmas gives us kind of a, a, a boost of excitement and energy and music and decorations and the whole thing. And, and yet we walk right out of Christmas in the new year totally unchanged. And that's the point is, We can get lost in the distraction of Christmas, but Advent does something deeper. Because what Advent is really about, it's really about our inability to come to God, and so then God comes to us. It's really about God entering into the dark things, into the pain, and to the hardships. Some of you are cautiously walking into this holiday season. This week is already hard because you've lost someone maybe even in this last year, and this is your first holiday season without somebody that you loved and, and knew and was close with you. It's still hard for me and when I think about my dad being gone and he died in November four years ago. It's still, it's still hard. It messes you up. It makes it weird. And sometimes you're like, I just, I, I, how long has it been since you felt the Christmas spirit? How, how hard do you work in order to kind of generate? And what's great is that Advent is a reminder, not of distractions and layers that we put on, but it's a reminder of we, we have, we've always been children afraid of the night. Or some of us, we have long seasons in our life where we're like, am I really happy and am I really good? And no matter how much I play the part, I, I'm never changed. Advent is Jesus entering to the very hardship and pain. Advent is God taking your hardship seriously. Your pain, your suffering. Advent takes all of that serious, which is why it's not just that Jesus has come, but it's that Jesus is coming again. And we'll talk about that. And the whole, the whole thing this morning is just kind of unfolding. How, why does Advent matter? How? How do we think about it and and those kind of things? And you know what? Oddly enough, it comes out of a list of names. There's a lot more here than maybe in your devotions, right? You're just kind of reading through the Bible. You're like, oh, wow, that's a lot of names. Uh, And I'm not good at English. And so you kind of move on. But you know what? I love the fact that we stood here this morning and read 17 verses of names. I love it because God has put this in for us intentionally. And this little section of scripture of all these names is no less the word of God than another part which makes more sense immediately. I love it that we are elevating the word of God. And there's a lot here in this little chapter. And we're going to, man, we got a lot of work. 
hoping to make it clear with very little content in the actual verses. But I'm going to invite you to hear it like a first century Jew would have heard this because that's the key. There's a reason why Matthew brought it here. These are the genealogies, and genealogies are usually what you read at night when you can't sleep. Uh, To try to get through the somnia, you're like, Genesis, I'll go there. Matthew, I'll go there. The question is, is why does Matthew start with this genealogy? And in fact, this genealogy is so important, it's why Matthew begins the New Testament. Matthew wasn't the first book written about Jesus. Mark was. And then it's somewhat, it's somewhat questionable after that whether Luke and Matthew, and, and you can go either way. So either Matthew's the second book about Jesus ever written or the third book about Jesus ever written. But in any case, um, it is so clear that Matthew begins the New Testament because of this genealogy. Because this genealogy is attaching itself to the greater story of the Bible. And in fact, this genealogy is attaching Jesus to Genesis, to the very beginning of mankind, to the very beginning of the world and of creation. So this genealogy matters. Mark opens with a simple statement about who Jesus is. Luke begins with a first-person purpose of why he wrote and, and went on an investigation of who Jesus is. Matthew begins with the very roots and attachment to who Christ is. And that's why if you were a first century Jew in this time and, and you got this book and you had the greater story in, in view, you, you, would have, you would have danced after this chapter. You would have leaped. You would have been full of joy because of what it means for us, because of Advent. Now, genealogies are a little bit like Where's Waldo books. You open the page, you're like, everybody's wearing a scarf, everybody's striped. What is going on here? Who's dressing these people? And they're, you know, and it's like 50,000 people on a page, and you're looking for where's Waldo. That's the genealogies. The genealogies are, or, or like those, you know, those 3D posters that you have to like strain your eyes, have a stroke, and then right, right when you see it, you have to blink, you know, and you're like, ah, you know that picture? Uh, yeah, those. Uh, I think my parents got me one when I was a kid once for Christmas, hated it. And um, <laughs> that, that's a little bit like the genealogies. You got to strain, you got to look, you have to hunt for kind of where Waldo is. And here's the point. Whenever you see a list of names in the Bible, it's doing one of two things. It's either showing you where Jesus is not, or it's showing you where Jesus is. Many Sometimes, and there's fewer of them, some of the lists in the Old Testament are dead ends. They're cul-de-sacs. And it's like this person had this person, this person had this person, then they all died, (laughs) you know? Like that's a cul-de-sac, that's a dead end. We don't follow that line. But the other ones that continue in the Bible are the ones that are about Jesus. And when you get to Matthew, it's all about Jesus. And the point is in 1 through verse 17 is where is Jesus in the text, in the greater story? And if you had the right kind of eyes and you're looking for Jesus in here and you're like, where is he? How does he make sense? How is he getting illuminated? And how is God revealing who Jesus is? That's the whole point. So anytime when you start in January 1, you're like, I'm reading the whole Bible this year. I know I'm doing it. And then you get to Genesis you get to Genesis chapter 3 and 7 and, you know, and it's a list of names that you can't pronounce. You're like, hooked on phonics didn't work for me. And, and you're trying to make sense and you're like, all right, I give up, you know. Here's what I want you to think. Read the names. You're not going to understand it all. That's okay. But in that names is the promise of Jesus. 
And what you're doing is you're following what's called, the theologians called the seed of Jesus. The, the, the moving and revealing of God and his total redemptive story in the world. That's what it is. And that's why Matthew starts with this list. We'll just start in verse 1. Matthew says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Okay, first off, tangent, book. Matthew is not making up a list. Some of you are walking in, you're seeking after Jesus, you're trying to make sense. You're looking at translations of the Bible. You, you've heard things about the Bible being uh, <clears throat> corrupted or changed or personal agendas. One of the things is Jesus has a actual physical book of genealogy. And what Matthew's doing is he's not going, here's the list that's been repeated. He's literally going to a history book where they kept a good record of the line of these people and that you could actually get to Jesus through this line. Their records were really, really good. So there's a book about the genealogy of Jesus, which meant they just went down to the courthouse or whatever, opened it up, and they could follow the line 42 generations. That's how many generations are here. And for 42 generations, you can prove that Jesus was a real man. There was a historical man, really born, really died. And you can trust that the stories about him are true because they're based in fact and, uh, and research and not just kind of pulled out of thin air. That's amazing. So that, all right, book. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So here's where it begins. If you were in the first century, you would look at these three names and, and you would begin to, to make some uh, um, assumptions about what's happening here. You have Jesus Christ, so they start with the end. So they're moving from the end going backwards. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, that's the end. And they're tracing it back. And right in the beginning of verse 1, they pull out son of David and they pull out son of Abraham. And what's happening here is they picked Abraham and David because Abraham and David form one of the five major covenants in the Old Testament or in the storyline of the Bible. And the, the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant, that's what's going on here. And so right in the very beginning, here's the assertion of Matthew as he writes. You, you've seen the book. There's a genealogy. It ends here at Jesus, and Jesus is attached to these two particular people. He's a son of David, way down the line. He's a son of Abraham, way down the line. He's the offspring of these two. Now, not just names, but the covenants that go behind them. And let me, let me bring you into it. Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3. This, this is the beginning of the Abrahamic covenant, and then it begins to really get filled in in, in chapter 15, by the way. But chapter 12, here's how, here's how the Lord God starts it. Now, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Right? So here's the covenant. The covenant is God is going to form a people through Abraham for himself, and they'll be what? Hashtag blessed. That's what it is. That's, that's what it is on Insta. That's what he would have wrote. Hashtag blessed. The people of the earth, they would, there would be a people of the earth pulled out that would be just God's people. And here's what, here's what a covenant. Anytime you hear the term covenant in the Bible, uh, I don't want you to think handshake. I want you to think relationship. Because a covenant in the Bible is about God's relationship with his people. And the very first covenant that he made with a people group came through Abraham. 
The very first covenant that was made was creation, by the way. Uh, but the, the first covenant he makes with a people group, a people that he says, you'll be my people. You'll be my peeps. I'll be your God. That's what the covenant was. And, and, and I want you to hear relationship because that's what that is. Abraham, from you, I'm going to create a great nation. They're going to be my people. I will be their God. We'll be in relationship. And because of that covenant, all the earth will be blessed. Okay? That's covenant number one. So when it says Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, we're immediately seeing that who Jesus is is tied to the very first relational covenant that God made with his people. So there's something unfolding here. The second is the Davidic covenant, David's covenant. And the way that covenants worked is they built upon one another. They illuminated the covenant more and more. And so if you have the Abrahamic covenant, here's a people, those people are going to be blessed. The Davidic covenant comes along and gives us a little more detail about what it's like for those people of God. And so then we go to 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 16. This is everything that's in this one little verse that if you were a first century Jew, you would have like gravitated towards. So we got to do some work to get there. 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 16. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He he shall build a house for my name. He'll establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father. He shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of man. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. As I took it from Saul, whom I put away from you, from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now, there's a lot we can talk about in here. This is a whole sermon by itself, but you got the, you got iniquity. He became sin, who knew no sin, was punished by men, right? He was given in the hands of lawless men, put on a cross. Um, by his stripes, we've been healed, right? Um, and when the stripes of son of men, right? So you have all these Christ connections, which in the time, nobody would have realized that we're talking about crucifixion, perfection becoming sin for our sake. Here's the point of this covenant, though. Abraham says, I'm going to have a people, and all, all the world will be blessed by those people. Davidic covenant is the second layer, which says, for those people, I'm going to create an eternal king. That's the Davidic covenant. The Davidic covenant is those people will have a forever king. Do you see that in the text? I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. We're not talking about just a, just a normal manly king because people, men and women, we don't live forever. He's talking about another kind of king. Your throne shall be established forever. So if you're in the first century, what you're hearing is you're hearing the Davidic covenant and the Abrahamic covenant. You're hearing God's people and God's king for that people, and then that's being attached to the name of Jesus, which which is about what? This is about Advent, which means this. Advent's great message in the very beginning right now is God keeps promises. You got to think the amount of time that has gone on. You imagine some people might have despaired. We actually even see that in the Bible. We see it from King David himself, who was given this covenant by God going, how long, O Lord? How long, right? 
How long will you wait? How long will my life look like this? And the, the very first verse of Matthew, breaking in this, this new way in which God, called the new covenant, in which God is going to relate to his people, comes in with this, remember, God has kept his promise. So when Jesus comes, when Jesus arrives, it is a, it is a sign that God doesn't fail the people that he's made promises to. And we go into Advent, we're like, look, God's made some promises, and Jesus is proof that he keeps those promises. And if, Je- and if God has kept his promise in va- Advent, then he will keep his promise in everything else. This is how it goes. It's an argument from greater to lesser. Romans 8 tells us this. Who He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also graciously give us all things? You know what he's saying? The most valuable thing ever in all of the universe was given to you in Advent. Why then do we continually wrestle with God as if God gave us his most valuable thing and now is keeping all the lesser things from us? Right? Which Advent is this great reminder that if God has given us Jesus, then there's nothing else that he would spare from us. Which means all of his promises will be ours. Why? Because he gave us Christ in Advent. Jesus has arrived. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 1.20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter amen to God for his glory. God keeps promise. Now, he keeps promise in that he's going to fulfill a covenant but he keeps promise with you about everything that he has ever said to us in the scripture. If you've ever wondered if God will forgive you, he keeps his promise. That, that those, those are justified by faith, forgiven by faith, de- decreed righteous by faith. God will keep his promise. If you ever wonder if God will remember you, when this life is over? Do you ever wonder if he's thinking about you now? We're told in David that, that God has more thoughts about you than all the grains of sand on the shore. And you're like, I don't know though, because my life doesn't look like God is thinking of me very much. God always keeps his promise. So then what? He will save you. He will fulfill his promise to you. He'll forgive you. He will receive you this morning. You you haven't gone so far. You haven't screwed up enough in order for God to remove his promise. He's with you always. Any of you ever wonder, is Jesus even walking with me today? Because I I feel alone. I I feel an outsider. I I feel like God is not near. He's He's with other people. That's evident. But I don't think he's walking with me. And then we turn to Matthew chapter 28. Oh God, I'm with you always, Jesus says. I'm with you always. And the great reminder is if God did not spare the arrival of Christ, the most valuable of all people and things, priceless, and God gave him to us, then in, the, in those darkest moments, Advent reminds us that God will always keep his promise to us. Amen? That's a good word. 
And that's the very beginning. Secondly, this list of names, this list of names is full of ordinary people. One of the things I love about this list is, is this list is 42 generations of, of basically people that you may or probably not heard of. Now, there's a, there's a few highlights. Abraham, David, Judah, right? Mary, Joseph. Like, there's some that you can go, okay, I, I know them. I know their name. But by and large, there's a lot of people in here. We don't, know their, we don't know their name or their story or who they are or what they did. We don't know anything about them. To us, they're just a name that we can't pronounce, right? For me, uh, when it comes to like Christmas, especially the Christmas tree, that thing has to be amazing. I'm like National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, kind of amazing, right? And I, I don't want no, I don't want no tree with a hole in the side of it. I don't want, I don't want no puny tree. I don't want any Charlie Brown tree. I don't want that. I don't want a tree that's essentially naked. You can see through. I don't want that tree. I, I want a tree that sings to me. And uh, there was, there was a time we had all of our kids were little. And we took four hours up in Apple Hill looking for a Christmas tree to cut down. And, uh, and our, our marriage survived barely. <laughs> but I'm out there, and we went to six different places. I just couldn't find that. I'm just waiting for the tree to sing to me. I'm like very picky about a Christmas tree. Oh, man, too picky about a Christmas tree? I don't want nothing ordinary. Some of us are very much, we're like that. Christmas is a big deal. We want our houses to shine. We want our trees to shine. We try to want to like, capture our childlike, whatever that was like when we were kids. We have this memory of Christmas being so amazing that, you know, we have to like recapture it because we're really wounded, broken people. <laughs> For whatever reason, I had a jacked up family, but that tree meant something to me. So I don't know if I was just looking at that tree. I was like, that's what peace looks like. All right. And so I don't know if that's what's going on. A little bit of therapy session. You're welcome. But man, that tree has to shine. But whether it's Christmas or not, that's, our lives are very much, we have a hard time being ordinary. Now, some of us, we really like being ordinary. And we're, we're, maybe we're okay with that. M many of us, we struggle with being ordinary. And, it, and especially, it seems like maybe, you know, millennial and Gen Z and, and we, Search for significance. My, my dad was a blue-collar worker his whole life. He worked in, uh, in a metal, in a machine shop. Um, he, he did some significant things, but by and large, you know, just a, just a blue-collar worker. Worked for like 36 years. Got a trophy at the end of it. Retired, you know, and then the company closed down. And, but he did it. He, he worked in one job all those years and got the gold watch, you know. And, uh, but when you talk to him, my dad hated his job. He hated going. He had to go at like four in the morning. He hated the whole thing. He did it because it, he was responsible and he was given this job, uh, you know, like 50 years ago when, um, when he had lost another job and then this job became available. But my dad always wanted to be a mailman. He wanted to walk the neighborhood and he's like, talk, he knows everybody, talk to everybody. Everybody on our block knows my dad. My dad was just that. He would have been the best mailman ever. The short shorts, the blue shorts, the whole thing, you know, and just like scooting around the neighborhood. He would have taken four days to deliver one day of mail. You know, like that would have, that would have been my dad. That would have been my dad. And he, he, he always wanted to be a mailman, but he, he, he never went and pursued it. There was even a moment I was like, 
quit your job, Dan. Go be a mailman. You'd be amazing. And he said, no, no. God gave me this. It's providing. And he said, you know, I never changed jobs because this thing just met our needs. And it was, I just worked it. Because I had lost my job and I, I never wanted mom to be in a place again where I didn't have a job. And it, it always, this conversation struck out at me because it's like, man, we would say something totally different in our generation. We would say like, go, go do it. Pursue your dreams. Do, do whatever you want. And my dad just for 36 years contented at doing a job he didn't like because it provided and he saw it as a gift of God. I don't think that's prescriptive. I don't think that's what you have to do. But what, what's, what stands out to me is that we've lost a sense that the ordinary matters. That, that we don't have to pursue every single little moment of significance online or in our life. And Advent is this reminder. I mean, look at this list. Most of the people, like there's a few names, but it's like our real life, right? Like you look around in the country, there's a few people we all know. And we kind of think that maybe, you know, more people are known. But really, there's hundreds of millions of people that we'll never know. They're going to live a life, and then they're going to die. We're not even going to know they died, and we're going to move on, right? There's, a, there's hundreds of millions of ordinary people with a few in our history that kind of shine. And that's the story of Jesus. But what I find amazing about that is how Advent reminds us of how much ordinary matters. Why? Because these people were moving the promise forward in their average, ordinary, faithful lives. They had no idea that they were involved in this grand story that generations, up to 40 generations after them, would finally unveil this big reality that Jesus was the promise of God through the whole story. All they were doing was waking up and going to work and raising families and getting sick and working and struggling and then dying in obscurity. That's what they did. And in doing that, what was happening? God was moving the promise forward. Advent reminds us how an extraordinary God rises out of the ordinary for the ordinary. This is powerful. One first rises out of the ordinary. They, they, they just lived their lives. They had no idea that they were connected to the bigger picture. They had no idea that God was doing something extraordinary just through their day in and day out faithfulness. And yet their name is on the list. We don't know anything about them, but without them, Jesus would not have been revealed. Which means that God is using their life to bring about this great promise. And if you think about that, think about it. They were born, they were teenagers, they had pimples, they, you know, they got a trade, they got a job, they got a spouse, they had children, they had a, you know, they, they had a house, and then they died. And, and we look back and we're like, that's not very extraordinary, we know nothing about them, and yet it was through that being born, growing up, going to work, having children, having a spouse, that God was moving his promises forward. God's promises do not only come through these grand people that we think are really special, but the promises of God are being moved in the world, rising out of every ordinary people. The second 
is Advent reminds us not only that the promise is moved through the ordinary, but that the promise is for the ordinary. Jesus coming, what Jesus didn't come for the extraordinary. He, he came for the ordinary. Sometimes, like, man, am I good enough? Am I, do I worship enough? Am I noticeable? Am I valuable enough to God? No, no. He did not come because you're special. Because you've generated your special. He came because he created you in his image. And being created in his image, you are special. And he, he came for the ordinary. Think of Jesus himself. Think about, we, we, we kind of have this thought in our mind, but Jesus was super ordinary, wasn't it? We were told that he didn't look great. <laughs> we have these pictures of Jesus and he's like flowing and blonde and he just came out from, you know, the salon. His nails are done and, you know, like the whole thing. He has, he has a manicure. He's, he's matro. You know, like the whole thing, that's Jesus, right? He's, he gets manis and petties. Like he's, he's, he's the real. No, no, Jesus didn't look that way. We're told in Isaiah that Jesus looked rough. In fact, he said nobody wanted to look at him. It's safe to say Jesus was ugly. No lightning, see? Not yet. No, no, we're, we're, we were told, this is biblical. Huh? I'm just, we were told he was nothing to look at. He wasn't ripped. He wasn't like no pain, no gain. Jesus holding the cross on his back. He, he wasn't buff. He wasn't ripped. He wasn't big. He was just ordinary. We talked last week that he went to work, right, and swung a hammer for 30 years. For 30 years, lived a very ordinary life. And in the process of that very ordinary life, going to work with dad, learning how to make furniture, serving and helping his mom in the kitchen. I love that part in The Passion of the Christ in the movie where he's like hanging out with his mom and making a meal. Because we don't think of Jesus in that terms. We're always like, oh, he's up on the hillside. Everybody gather. I'm going to do something amazing. Like we have this big view of Jesus, and yet he was so ordinary. He was born in a manger. He was a king, but he came humbly and lowly. He, he rode on a donkey as, as part of his journey to the cross, not on a big steed and chariots and horses. He was so ordinary, and yet we push ordinary away, don't we? And in pushing ordinary away, we actually find ourselves pushing Jesus away. Because we want something better, something more special. And being ordinary for some of you might be the worst thing that you can think of for your life. And yet, by being ordinary, just living your life, not worrying about your name, loving people, serving the city, you know what's happening? The promises of God are being fulfilled. Do you know that by living your ordinary life, people's prayers are being answered? But by being present and mindful that your ordinary life matters because Advent, because Jesus came in a very ordinary way and for ordinary people, and that, he, that, that Jesus was revealed what? through ordinariness, which means this. Advent, remember, Advent's not only that Jesus came, but Jesus is coming, which means that the coming of Jesus and the fulfillment of the revelation of Jesus is, come, is going to come through the ordinary means of people's lives. Which means you are continuing the promise. God is using your very ordinary life to make a great name for himself. So that in the genealogy of your story, 
that ends with Jesus, you're like, oh my gosh, all these ordinary things I just did every single day was fulfilling God's promises. That's radical. And maybe some of us need to repent of desiring to be more than we are. Some of us, we don't want to be ordinary because we can't believe God would love ordinary. Jesus came for the ordinary. And which one of these people is outside the covenant? None of them. Do you know their name? No, but Jesus does. You you don't know all about me. I don't know all about you, but Jesus does. Jesus knows you, and he'll fulfill his promises. Third, look how it continues. Advent also brings about this restoration. Advent's about restoration. Now, in in this list of names, there's some unique ones that maybe if you're writing this list, in the first century, you'd have been hesitant. Namely, there's women in the list. And in the first century, this is a scandalous deal, especially not only that women are on the list, but then the women that were chosen to be on the list, which is all intentional. It's all on purpose. But you got some amazing things happening. In fact, there's five women mentioned on this list. Now, now keep this in mind. Women were not even allowed to appear in court and testify against a crime. Their, their opinion and their value as a witness was nil, none. They had no authority. And yet, what does Jesus do? He attaches himself to these amazing women. What does Jesus do? He allows women to be the first witnesses of the resurrection. When the culture said, your voice doesn't matter, Jesus said, no, your voice does matter. And I'm going to allow you women who, are, who have been outcasted in this society to be the first witnesses of the resurrection. Isn't that amazing? Now, how Jesus ties himself? Why? Because there's something deeper happening here. But five women, verse, verse 3, Tamar, uh, verse 5, Rahab, verse 5, Ruth, uh, verse 6, David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Now, it doesn't say Bathsheba, but she's in there. But I think there's a very distinct reason why she's the wife of Uriah, not Bathsheba. And then if you go all the way to verse 16, Mary. Now, now I love how this is phrased. Uh, especially I was talking about with Christy this week. It's funny because whenever uh, Christy gets introduced, it's like Christy, Mark's wife, right? Or Christy, Pastor Mark's wife. Like that's our story for the last 23 years. And she's like, no, I'm just Pastor Mark's wife, you know? Here's what I love about it. Check this out. And Joseph, the husband of Mary. (laughs) Yeah. Woo. Yeah. He's like, I'm just Joseph. I'm her, her husband. She's the big deal. I love it. I love it. There you go. There's a theme verse for you, right? Come on, husbands, think about it. Just be Joseph. Just be Joseph, right? But the idea is that, that, God, that God attaches himself to these amazing women. Now, women didn't make the list of genealogies, but that's not all what's going on here because in this list, the women, boom, they're a, they're a double throat punch. Uh, the first one is that there was women on the list. The second one is that all but one, Mary, was a Gentile. Oh, boom, boom, boom. And if, if you were in the first century, you would have caught that. And in fact, Bathsheba wasn't a Gentile, but she married Uriah, who was a Hittite, who was a Gentile, which, means, which meant that she then, after that marriage, was perceived as a Gentile. Do you see that? Whoa, that's why it's the wife of Uriah. Because he's the Gentile. And so Jesus 
is from this list. They're just ordinary people. But then there's some extraordinary things about these people, not, not because they're extraordinary in them, but it's because it's extraordinary that Jesus would attach himself to them. And that they're women and they're Gentile women. What's happening? Let's go back to the covenants because it's all about the covenant. God would form a people for himself. Obviously, initially, we know that the people of God are hashtag blessed are not only men, but women, right? There you go. That's one part of it, but, it, but it's unfolding because that's the Abrahamic covenant that God would build a people for himself. The second part of the covenant is that he would provide a king. He would provide a king. What, what kind of king? This king would rule forever. And he would be a king in the, in the heart, in the line of David. He would be a king over God's people. And we're told he'd be a righteous king. We even, we even, taught, we even heard it this morning in Isaiah chapter 9. What kind of king? Wonderful counselor. The government will be on his shoulder. He will hold up, hold up governing the people. He'll be a righteous king. Now, Advent is about not only Jesus has come, but Jesus is coming. It's about the arrival of Christ. And the arrival of Christ that we're actually waiting for, the main theme, this will blow your mind. You ready? The main theme of Advent is not that that Jesus came as a baby. The main theme of Advent is that Jesus is going to come as a king and that that king will judge the world. Do you know that the main theme of Advent for the history of the church has been about judgment. And did you know that it was the judgment of Jesus that everybody was waiting for? They're like, come, Lord, come, and what? Restore all of this and make it right. That's judgment. Now, when you hear judgment, you might hear condemnation. But Jesus is not returning to condemn. John chapter 3 already tells us that if you are out of faith, you're condemned already. He did not come to condemn, but he came to save the world. Do you remember that scripture? Which means that Jesus didn't come to be a judge that condemns, and condemns is just a declaration. We have to know the difference. The difference between condemnation and judgment. Condemnation is a declaration of sin or sinner. But judgment, in a biblical perspective, judgment is about righteous restoration. It's about Jesus coming and restoring everything because he is a righteous king. That's the promise of David. Not that God would just have a people for himself, but that this people would have a king and he would rule over God's people and they'd be blessed. Why? Because the king restored judgment. The king restored what was broken. The king restored a society. And that's why the women are in the list. Why? Because when Jesus returns, ultimately, it'll be through judgment that he re uh, brings back again the image of God and the value of the image of God in people. And he'll restore everything and make it right. And that's the purpose of the women being on the list. That Advent includes a complete societal restoration. Think about that. When you are considering this Advent season of Jesus coming as a little eight-pound, six-ounce baby, we're primarily thinking selfishly, aren't we? How it matters to me and 
how it matters to my Christmas season. And, but when Jesus came, he came to do more than to just give us a season to decorate. He came to bring complete societal restoration. And the women on the list and the Gentiles was to say from the very beginning that the promise of Jesus was for the whole world. Now, God was going to come, Jesus is going to come as a judge and set the world right. And, and that should make you long for Christ to come. Some of you are afraid, but that's because you're thinking of condemnation and not complete society restoration under the kingship of Jesus. Look at Acts chapter 10. So this is now the, the, this new covenantal idea in Christ is getting expanded. Acts chapter 10, 9 through 15. The next day as they were on a journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on a housetop about the sixth hour to pray. He became hungry, wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Peter, rise, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that's common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. And you know that this is about people groups? You know this is about Jews and Gentiles? You know this is about a whole world? And, and Jesus is like, in this vision, talking to Peter, the Lord God said to Peter, Peter, don't call any person common. There's no such thing as a common person. I'm forming a people for myself, and they are outside the kind of people you would form for me. Don't call them common which means Advent is a moment for us to enter in this idea that our value for diversity and unity really matters. Because the birth of Jesus was not just about providing an experience. It was about a complete societal restoration, which means I don't understand Advent until I begin to engage in an entire societal restoration. Who do we or what do we call common? Jesus loves and embraces. The next one. Just a list, huh? The next one. Here's the other great thing about this list is it's full of sinners. Advent reminds us that Jesus attaches himself to sinners. That Jesus comes from a family of sinners. How many of you have like a jacked up family and what you hate about Christmas is the whole family getting together and getting awkward, Right? A lot of things have happened this year, and you're like, all right, Aunt Ruth isn't talking to Betty, you know, like mom and whatever, or, you know, you're going to have, maybe your mom and dad have been separated, and you're trying to figure out how, and it just gets messy. Families are hard. They're weird. They're, they're, they're full of sinners, and part of holidays are tough because we have to be with our family. <laughs> we love Friendsgiving because I get to choose them, right? I don't get to choose Thanksgiving. That's when all the people I really don't want to talk to come over and we call them family. And so, but here's the great thing about it. Jesus gets it. His Thanksgiving was crazy too. His list of people were sinners. I mean, oftentimes the first thing that's pulled out is the women. I think that's unfortunate. But the women were sinners, but so were the men. Three of the five women on here were, were prostitutes. And Jesus goes, you're my family? And then the men, I mean, just I, we could spend all day and break down, but let's just look at some of the big ones. Abraham lied about his wife, allowed, him, allowed another man 
to take his wife for fear and was even open to him sleeping with her. Uh, Abraham, who forgot the promises of God, ended up sleeping with, a, with one of his servants, Hagar, right? And now the whole world is crazy. And so we got, we got all kinds of things happening. Abraham was a sinner. David forced himself using his power on a woman. She got pregnant. David tried to hide it by bringing her husband back from the front lines, but he was so full of character. He slept at the door of the king, wasn't willing to drink or go and be with his wife. And so then David was stuck. So then David's like, hey, put him on the front line and everybody back up. That actually happened in the Bible. Could you imagine that moment where like Uriah's like, all right, let's go. What? (laughs) That's a real moment. David's a sinner, misuses authority, misuses power, killed a man. That's nuts. That's the, that's the Bible. Joseph tried to end the engagement with Mary out of fear because she was pregnant and what that would mean for both her and him. And they weren't married yet, and he didn't believe the angels. Judah solicited prostitutes in here. Manasseh is called the word wicked. He's in here. And then everybody else is an ordinary sinner in their ordinary lives. And from this list comes Jesus. Jesus gladly comes from a family of sinners. Advent is for sinners. Here's the great thing about the Abrahamic and the Davidic covenant is that They were unilateral, which means there was nothing incumbent upon you to make the covenants, the relationship with God come. God graciously came to sinners. And if there's anything, for some of us, you guys are walking in here burdened by a law, burdened by morality. You can't even obey your own morality that you want others to obey. And you're coming in burdened by your sin. You had a late night last night. You made some really poor choices other than listening to Christmas music. And now you're you're walking in here and you're like, man, I'm a sinner. I don't know if I can participate. Some people aren't here this morning because they're, they have sinned and somehow they have to make their own lives right before they come and meet with Jesus because we don't get the gospel right. Because we don't understand that Jesus loves sinners and Jesus loves the broken. And Jesus has invited all of us sinners around the great Thanksgiving table in heaven. And he's going to pass a cup and he's going to welcome you there. And there's going to be a smile. And we're going to be like, man, we are really jacked up. But Jesus is really, really good. And he loves sinners. We're told in 2 Timothy, if we're faithless, he, rem- he remains faithful. We cannot deny- he cannot deny himself. Advent reminds us that your sin cannot derail the grace of God. Think about that. You know your sin. You know the cycle of your sin. You know where you've been. You know the choices you've made. You know the heart. You know that you've murdered by your anger. Anger is murder in seed form. You know you've lusted. You know you've clicked. You know you drank too much. You know you, you made choices that didn't honor Jesus. And yet the point of Advent isn't to go, oh my gosh, I got to get my life right before I can really celebrate Christmas. The, the, the thing of Advent, Advent reminds us that we could not go to God, so then God had to come to us sinners. And that Jesus gladly welcomes sinners. And Jesus loves those who are all those people that are on this list. And lastly, to close out, 
Advent is an invitation into the eternal. Go to verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations, 42 generations. And there's all things that could be said. There's some great things we can do with some numbers, but I'm not good with math, so we'll avoid that. Here's what I, here's what I think how the, the promise ends in verses 1 through 17. God is playing a long game. God is patient. God is willing to reveal himself over 42 generations. God is not interested in quick and temporary fixes, but he's rather interested in eternal transformation and happiness. And we walk with God and we're like, do something right now. Get after it right now. I need, I need it now. And, and in God's story, he's going, 42 more generations, and I'm going to do it. And you're like, no, no, I don't want 42 generations. I want it right now. And God's like, no, no, I'm way more interested in the eternal happiness of your heart and soul than I am in the temporary fix of your life. And just when you're like, it cannot get darker, it cannot get worse, and where is God? God out here, here's what Advent, Advent draws us in to remind us that God is playing a much longer game than we're playing, that has higher stakes than we know, that is about eternal things and not just temporary little moments of happiness and consolation. Advent is a reminder that Jesus is coming again. And although we'd want him to come right now because we are in a mess, God is playing a long game that invites us into an eternal story. So how dark are things now? How silent is God now? What is culture up to now? No matter how you answer that question, God is playing a long game. He isn't losing. And when you read this list, how many people of these guys and women's lives, they were suffering the effects of sin against them and the effects of their own sin and the effects of the world, war, famine, hunger, poverty. And yet God was revealing and revealing. And yeah, they would have wanted Jesus to be revealed right there at generation 30 or 35 or 40, but it was 42 generations. And boom, Christ. And you'll go your whole life, maybe, suffering. I'll go my whole life with a back disease, maybe. You will live, you will grow, you will have kids, and you will die. And God is playing a much longer game. And Advent is an invitation into an eternal eternal waiting, not just a temporary fix. Welcome to Advent. Let me pray. Lord Jesus. You are so good. You are better than we know. You are greater than we deserve. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you love sinners. Thank you, Lord Jesus, you gave us a list of names that at least on the surface doesn't make sense. But oh, how rich this list is. Oh, how rich your grace is. Oh, how good Advent is. And I pray this Christmas, we can have a lot of fun. We can bring joy to our families. We can bake cookies. We can enjoy it because of the grace of God, but I pray that this Christmas we will not be distracted in the short game, in the small game. But Jesus, you are going to return. Why? Because you've already come. And you will restore all things because you are a righteous king and you remember your promises to us. 
We pray in your name. Amen.